The adoption of robotic-assisted surgery has risen across multiple surgical disciplines in recent years. And while many trusts are continuing to adopt and invest in robotic-assisted surgical equipment, access to this technology is still largely limited to more senior surgeons. However, for robotic-assisted surgery to really succeed, newer generations of surgeons need to learn how to use these tools. But with technology and tutelage scarcely available, many young surgeons are unable to access the training they're calling out for. Trainees are all on board because that is the future. They all know robotic surgery is the future, therefore they want to get trained. But there are a significant number of trainees, unfortunately, who haven't even been in a robotic theatre simply because of geography and because not all units have the robot. But in some areas of medicine, access to training in robotic-assisted surgery is about to get a whole lot easier. Because robotic-assisted surgical training is fast becoming not just an optional extra, it's making its way into the curriculum. We need to include these trainees because their time is so precious in theatre. We know the training hours are cut as it is and we should take every opportunity to train them. But even if we train them, that was not recognised then it really doesn't help the training. That's why it comes back to that we have to approach the colleges to make sure this is a part of a, a training curriculum. This is Surgical Robo Talks, brought to you by CMR Surgical and the Association of Surgeons in Training, your source for all the latest in robotic-assisted surgery and education. In this series, we speak with surgeons and leading figures in medicine to help clinicians make sense of the developments, challenges and opportunities in robotic-assisted surgery. I'm your host, Jessica Butterworth, and my co-host today is Joshua Burke. In this episode, we speak with consultant laparoscopic and robotic pelvic surgeon, Nahid Gull. We find out how robotic-assisted surgery is making its way into gynecological surgical training and how this could lay the groundwork to integrate robotic-assisted surgical tuition into other medical disciplines in surgical training. We'll also discuss what it takes to develop a surgical training curriculum and explore some of the challenges that come with the task. As both a laparoscopic surgeon and a preceptor with CMR, Nahid has been helping both seasoned surgeons and trainees to get to grips with cutting-edge techniques and robotic tools for years. And in that time, she's witnessed new tools and procedures advance the world of surgery. So who better to ask about the impact of robotic-assisted surgery on the future of surgical practice than her? It's just another advanced surgical tool. But the significant advantages of the robotic surgery is the improved patient outcomes, which we have seen in all the experiences throughout the world now. You know, I myself don't actually even probably know now how to do open surgery because we are all doing minimal access and that is amazing. Patients who were in hospitals before, after, for example, hysterectomy, they would have been in the hospital for uh, maybe a week or so. Now we're having day case surgeries, our maximum overnight. That's a massive advantage to the patient. And obviously that reflects to advantage of the healthcare system. So we're not having to have patients in the hospitals. We can release those beds for other patients. And patients are recovering so quickly. So they are actually going back to their normal life so quickly. So it, it has changed significantly across the board in the healthcare. And for surgeons as well, we are looking, things are becoming visible much more than ever we could see things before with the naked eye. 
So using robotic tool has helped across the board, providing us the high standard healthcare surgical uh, procedures for our patients. And what about in your own practice? It sounds like you're now so experienced in minimal access surgery, you'd actually never choose to do open. But am I right in assuming you actually were trained in open surgery first? So I'm interested to know, when did you see the change in your career? And kind of how did this come about? Well, I was trained in oncology as an open surgeon and and complex surgery first. So uh, minimal access surgery was supposed to be a no-no in oncology, really. So it was when in, I think, 2010, when NICE published guidelines about endometrial cancer, saying that uh, laparoscopic surgery was advantageous. And obviously, I had to get trained into laparoscopic surgery. But very soon, within a couple of years, I was approached... uh, I think we were probably one of the eight trusts in the country at the time. Uh, we were getting robot and I actually initially thought, well, why do I need robotic surgery? Because I'm doing now laparoscopic and I'm training minimal access. But once I started doing robotic surgery from 2013, I think I got trained first, I had converted significant amount of open surgeries into laparoscopic. But there was still a cohort of patients who, you know, very significantly high BMI, who had um, other respiratory problems, who really we couldn't do laparoscopic surgery. But soon as I got trained in robotic surgery, that um, scenario completely changed. We hardly had any patient admitted in HDU, hardly had any patient admitted in ITU. And in fact, we have published on that, our open surgery rate was less than 1%. So we actually converted open surgery to 99% either using laparoscopic and certainly robotic in these high complex cases. And ever since, it's only getting better and better. And I think across the board now that ethos is changing, really. We are coming to know that robotic surgery is so much advantageous to all the patients. So Nahid, if you um, take urology as an example, we know from national audits that huge proportions of their operations are now done robotically. So prostatectomy, for example, about 90% of them are done on the robot. But robotics doesn't currently feature on any of our uh, specialty curriculums. So I guess my question to you is how and when should training in robotic assisted surgery start? Well, again, I go back to this. This is another advance. It's a tool. It's a surgical tool. So I think with training, if you break it down, it has to be starting with the awareness and then exposure and then experience and then training. Because if people are not aware of it, you can't really train somebody. So I think if everybody isn't aware of it, you're gonna get very resistance. And I think when I say everybody first has to be the patient, we are doing this for our patients for their outcomes. So our awareness has to start with the patients. Our awareness has to start from medical schools. Our medical students have to be aware that how do we do surgery these days? There is a, another tour available. Yes, you may not do it for every single case, but certainly there is a significant case selection for these where you would have robotics. So I think the awareness has to start from medical schools. And then when we talk about training, it has to be standardized. And this is why we have been very keen to get our college on board. Because, for example, uh, gynecology, 
we have a very set curriculum of training, and which is, which is really good. Obviously, there have been changes which has been made. I think our curriculum got changed in 2019, and we really at that time wanted to make sure the robotics was part of that. But when you, it becomes a part of a standardized training program, then you can actually um, implement training in each hospital. So again, although in, all the trainees may not be able to access uh, robotic surgery at one point, the way we are hopefully going to implement this is they will be centers who will provide the fellowships for these trainees and it's all recognized and it's all standardized. So that's what the curriculum is quite really, really important. It has to be part of your main specialty curriculum. I think doing it isolated just as robotics, I don't think it's, it will work because otherwise it just becomes, oh, this is another tool, we don't need that. But if it's integrated in your own curriculum, obviously then each specialty will have to decide where they want to bring that training module into that curriculum. That's where it has to start. As Nahid mentioned, awareness isn't just important for introducing trainees to robotic-assisted surgery, but it's crucial for raising awareness of the technology among patients too. Now, one of the biggest challenges in delivering robotics tuition to new surgeons is the rotational nature of surgical training. During their learning, trainees will work at five or more posts within different specialities. And with each move, there's no guarantee that their next rotation will have access to the same or even any robotic technology making it almost impossible for them to become familiar with a particular system. So without a consistent robotic curriculum, what should trainees do in order to prepare themselves for robotic-assisted surgery? Could developing proficiency in laparoscopy be the right first step? I think if you go back to the history of robotics, how it started, it was really initially converting open surgeons into robotic. However, we are in the era now where really um, we are providing minimal access surgery to our patients, whether it's robotic or whether it's laparoscopic, because uh, that is the norm and that should be the norm. Although it is not really essential, but it is advantageous because, for example, the most cases, mine I do robotics really for the, for the complex cases, and sometimes you have to do quite a lot of laparoscopic dissection even before you can put ports in for the robotic surgery. So if one doesn't have those skills, then they can't really be doing the, the robotics. So I think it is advantageous. So yes, that's why when we talked to the college, talking about the curriculum, as I said, one, the training module is laparoscopy initially, so they will be proficient in that. But you would have to have, I think, in this day and age, laparoscopic skills. Josh, just out of interest, on your various rotations, how often have you come across a robot in a hospital? I think me personally is quite a, a nuanced experience because I've been pretty much uh, across two centres for five years, which is a rarity. Most trainees will rotate every six to 12 months. So both of my centres had multiple robots, but I know that that isn't a reflection of most trainees. Okay. Sounds like you've been lucky to be able to stay in the same place then. I have, very lucky. Great. So, Nahid, you mentioned the importance of bringing awareness of surgical robots to medical students at the very beginning. In your view, how or when should teaching across the different robotic platforms happen? I guess there are several robots in the market now, which are very different. Versus, for example, is a modular robotic system compared to existing platforms that operate using a boom. 
So how do you think that should be incorporated into curriculums and at what stage should trainees be exposed? So I think the advantage of the robot are to the patient and to the surgeon and to the trainees because we can actually see so much better. We can teach so much better. Anatomy is just so phenomenal how much you see with the robotic technology as compared to open, certainly. With the training curriculum, as I said, because it has to be part of your specialty training, the formal training when we're going to get the accreditation in robotics, for example, gynecology, it is going to be at um, year six upwards. But that does not mean they do not have exposure or training before that. That's why for as gyne uh, biogs, we have developed a curriculum which actually starts from the assistant, you break it down from the bottom and assistant to first assistant and to the surgeon. So our trainees, because they will have to apply for this uh, robotic module, same as they apply for advanced laparoscopic module, same as apply for advanced oncology module. So it will be that modules are applied before year six because the main emphasis on is on the core general surgical um, ops and gynae training which involves both obstetrics and gynecology. But if there was a year one trainee or there was a year two trainee who happens to be in a robotic center and they can get all of the things, whatever their experiences can signed off. And when they actually, if they wanted to carry on doing this advanced robotic module, then they will be very easily able to be signed off. So that's the kind of the message we want to give away that do not think just because if you have an opportunity to be in a unit which has got the robot, you should take that training opportunity. And it will be logged. And as our uh, college vice president said, there's so much opportunities they can learn, they can be taught. And it just starts where the robot is available. But formal training, as I said, with the would be at the advanced level at year six, year, uh, year seven. Okay, so if a trainee did take advantage of the robot in their centre and were maybe even fortunate enough to be signed off on it, but then in their final rotation or maybe um, their first consultant position, they moved to a centre that had a different robot, how do you think this would work? I guess, is there a transfer of skills where they would just need recertification, maybe to validate their competencies on that particular technology? Or do you think they would need to restart a training pathway for that particular robot from the very beginning? If I was going to use a new instrument, forget maybe it's not even a robot, it's, for example, um, endometrial ablation, because they keep changing and we keep having different. I would have to go and do training for that equipment and be certified that I am trained to use that equipment. Remember, robotic surgery, it's not teaching people how to operate. People should know how to operate beforehand. Robotic surgery is just a tool. And so therefore, yeah, they will, if they change different system, whoever is providing that system will give them that training. And once they feel qualified that they are trained in that system, yes, then they can go and be certified and be trained and implement that. But I think it is, it's the training of the system is different than a surgical training because the surgeons should already know how to operate. It's not robotics and teaching them how to operate. Each robotic system requires its own unique training and assessment in order for a surgeon to be qualified in its use. And while this does present something of an issue for trainees who might bounce from system to system in training, the reality is, as Nahid said, that this is no different from qualifying to use any new surgical tool. 
Because what's important to trainees is that they learn how to carry out operations safely and that they get exposure to robotics. And having robotic modules integrated into different surgical specialisms will enable that. But of course, developing a curriculum with dedicated robotic modules isn't a quick and easy process. Access to equipment isn't guaranteed from centre to centre, plus there are many stakeholders to consider. Nahi discussed the benefits of the enhanced visualisation of the anatomy with robotic-assisted surgery. But who is responsible for teaching the different approach to the anatomy from open to viewing down an endoscope? It is also important that curriculums are standardised. And of course, patient safety is paramount and has to be at the heart of all decisions. So how did Nahid tackle this challenge? I think it was 2018. Basically, the curriculum was changed. When college put out that for the whole consultations, it was put out to everybody. And from that consultation, then the final ops and gynae curriculum got implemented. And then when we talked about particular for robotics, we obviously got the speciality included in that. We then send it to the college. And again, even now, it's sent to the stakeholders and the GMC. So basically everybody is involved before anything gets finalized. I think the key here is your curriculum has to be standardized with your normal speciality curriculum. So basically, if you're assessing somebody a skill, whether it's a robot, whether it's laparoscopy, or we make it anything else, it should be the same. Therefore, then the trainees don't get confused. Their curriculum preparation is exactly the same. The trainers don't get confused. They have exactly the same. And I think it's trying to make sure it's a part and parcel of your training program. It's just another tool. You know, we're today talking about robot. Who knows, 20 years' time, we may be talking something else. So... I think the key is really getting part and parcel into your speciality curriculum. So I guess if you look at laparoscopy, I guess that has become part and parcel of the way we train in cavity-based surgery. And a lot of operations now that were done open, you start learning as a laparoscopic procedure. But I guess people may be of the opinion that we're not quite at that stage yet with robotic surgery. And actually people start to train in laparoscopy. So is there a role or do you have included within your curriculum proficiency on the system rather than how to do the surgery? Or is that left to the companies? Nobody can progress in laparoscopic surgery until they are proficient in the system. But yes, that system is company-based. Because, again, in a no curriculum can account for, you know, for example, a CMR robot or Intuitive or Medronics. Nobody can say what system they should be. Yeah, that will be left to the companies. So if company says, yes, these are people are trained, they have trained in the, using the system, that's all they're saying because they can't be teach. And then the curriculum will make sure they are then implemented how it should be. There's two sets in training. One is the, the system training, which will be always company-led because companies know better how to use the system, how to train people, how to use a system. But then trainers on a day-to-day basis, uh, clinical training I'm talking about, will actually be using the, the normal curriculum as they were used, whether it's laparoscopy, is robotics. And I think going back to your question, yes, robotic, we're not there yet, only simply because every hospital does not have the robot. I definitely believe in 20 years' time it will be a different scenario completely. So final question in terms of curriculum content. I guess you could create agnostic criteria independent of the platform. So let's take um, emergency undocking as an example. In the gynecology robotics curriculum, do you have 
you know, the trainee must have knowledge or be able to partake in the emergency undocking scenario, independent of what system they're using, or is any technical aspect of using the system not currently included in the curriculum? Sorry, if I can just add to that and broaden the scope of Josh's question, docking's really only relevant for one specific robot. So maybe we can make that a bit more general and include um, how maybe a team can remove instruments quickly in an emergency scenario, maybe responding to a cardiac arrest, for example. There definitely is, but it should be just a robotic undocking, whatever system they're using. Yeah, it is definitely is there. I personally think it is so much different than other training. It is a team training. It's not just a surgeon. It's not just assistant. It's a nursing staff. It's a support staff. It's anesthetist. It's all that. And I think when we talk about nowadays human factor in theatres, robotics is a typical example how it is so important uh, having the human factor, how everybody's involved. So we need to account for the training of everybody and how surgeons or assistants interact with everybody else. Yeah, I completely agree. Me too. Robotic surgery is definitely a team sport. And as you say, training for the whole team is vital. I also have an interest in the team that deliver the training, as this can have a great impact on the standard. So I guess, have you developed your curriculum to include any train-the-trainer courses? And have you looked at how they deliver information? Yes, for sure. One of the things college is really uh, very keen is um, we've again uh, written a document for the education supervisors in robotics, what is expected. And because they are providing the training according to the college curriculum, their assessment has to be exactly the same what is in the common curriculum. And college expects or any trainee providing any kind of training to our trainees should be doing it regularly themselves, should also have the trainer's qualification. Because if I don't know how to train, clearly I can't just have the trainees then. So yes, there are certain criteria that the trainer should meet as well. And not because I don't think everybody has got the training skills and they, they need to be refreshed and they need to know how to assess and how to give feedback again. So yeah, just because you're doing robotic surgery doesn't mean you are a trainer. So Nahid, we discussed earlier one of the challenges of implementing a robotic-assisted surgery curriculum is the lack of robots. And I guess it's a bit of a postcode lottery if you're lucky enough to be at a centre with a robot. So how have you overcome this? I mean, has it actually been possible to standardise training nationally? That is the main challenge right now. Ideally, we want a robotic surgery to be part of a core curriculum, but you can't provide that as a core curriculum because every unit does not have a robot at present. Trainees are all on board. They all know robotic surgery is the future, therefore they want to get trained and they want to be part of that. But there are a significant number of trainees, unfortunately, who haven't even been in a robotic theatre simply because of geography and because not all units have the robot. Also, it seems to be consultant-led because it's at present the way robotic surgery is taught is via the companies. And that has been successful so far simply because all the surgeons already know how to operate. As we said before, the main ethos is it's not a role of any robotic company to teach a surgeon how to do an operation. The companies are just teaching them how to use a system. So they, they have got no obligation at present to teach trainee. And this is why I personally have felt very strongly about it that we need to include these trainees because... Their time is so precious in theatre. We know the training hours are cut as it is. And we should take every opportunity to train them. But even if we train them, and if it, but if that was not recognised, 
then it really doesn't help the training. That's why it comes back to that we have to approach the colleges to make sure this is a part of a, a training curriculum. We are in the final stages of getting the curriculum out. We're hoping it will be out this year. And then it will be application, how many units will be able to provide that training module. Because remember, this is a new tool still coming in. When, whenever there's a new robot consultant having it, they themselves want to do it. And because there's always competition, it's not freely available. Will they have enough cases for themselves and have enough cases for the trainee? And I think that is the challenge going forward, unless we massively increase the number of robots across most units. So that leads on really nicely to our next conversation. So certain units have had success with what's being anecdotally called parallel training. So robotic surgery lends itself really nicely to modular progression of procedures. You know, you put the ports in first, you get your access right, et cetera, et cetera. And some units have, what they've done is they've started to sign off competencies for different modules for consultants who are on their learning curve. And then once the consultants have become proficient in, say, docking the robot, getting the ports right, they then allow their trainees to do that particular bit of the operation, even if the consultant who's potentially being proctored isn't completely proficient in the entire operation. Do you think that's sustainable? Do you think it's safe? Is it something which you could see yourself adopting maybe? One of the things really what is in robotic surgery is having that confidence you can train a trainee, especially on a console. So again, using the curriculum is we have used the modular system so that we can sign off people and, and doing it stepwise, which is much more easier rather than as a whole. And I think having a trainee with you and we've done um, having an online courses and also some cadaver courses, I think really helps giving that confidence for a surgeon to take their trainee through. The only, I think, a challenge really would be having the consistently the same trainee with you in your theatre to get you that confidence. There is a need to give trainees access to the robot. However, it seems the challenge for surgeons is that their time in theatre is already limited and not consistent due to rotation. They would benefit if they could spend more time with the same trainee and have longer to pass on their robotic skills and knowledge. Developing modular, metric-based curriculums could help robotic-assisted surgical tuition, giving surgeons confidence in what their trainees have achieved in earlier rotations. This would allow them to develop their skills further in a stepwise fashion. But even though physical access is limited, virtual access is another story. In fact, given how easily accessible online materials are, and with VR training well on its way, robotic training can take place from the comfort of a surgeon's own home. But is this kind of training useful? And should training in a surgical curriculum start with videos? Oh, absolutely. As I said, it's raising the awareness to start with. And you can raise awareness by um, social media is so helpful now. Uh, surgical videos, I mean, I myself learned so much from the surgical videos and they are really, really helpful. So even the trainees who's never actually seen the robot will definitely um, be helpful to see. And, and part and parcel of this training is there is online module in every curriculum. And part of online modules is the videos and surgical videos, you know, you have docking videos, but where should you start? It should start wherever the trainees have the opportunity. Yes, when it's formalized, then it will be they'll have to apply for that module through their colleges 
and that's, that will start at year six in Obstetrics, but that doesn't stop them learning and getting signed off if they have had the opportunity to be in a unit before that. Great, thank you. I know most manufacturers have surgical videos online, which would be available for trainees to use. CMR, for example, uses the MedTube platform for those who have access to it. And there are thousands of videos on there, obviously not just the Versius. um, So that would be worth looking at. YouTube also has loads of videos. And another place to look is actually a manufacturer's own website. For Versius, there's a 360 degree video, which is pretty cool. It allows you to move around the operating theatre as the procedure is going on. And that kind of gives you that really immersive experience. And Josh, I know Asset has developed materials to help kickstart a trainee's exposure and understanding of robots. What have you got out there at the moment? Yeah, so we're just about to publish in the Journal of Robotic Surgery a pre-procedural core curriculum. So a lot of the specialty associations have their procedure-specific curriculums, which seem to work in really well for senior trainees and consultant colleagues. But we thought there was a gap for early years trainees around core level who may be in theatre with robots and don't quite know how to use them, the buttonology, how to do the emergency on docking. And so we've come up with consensus recommendations of what that curriculum might look like. Off the back of that, we've supported um, one of the fellows, Charlotte El Saeed, is working with Health Education England and the Royal College of Surgeons of England to add more colour to that. So she's currently conducting some research studies on what the, the content will look like. And our hope is that we'll publish that hopefully later next year. Excellent. Thanks, Josh. I'm really looking forward to reading that publication when it comes out. So Nahid, it's been great chatting with you today. Thank you so much. It's been really interesting to hear about some of the challenges you've faced when creating a robotic program. And you've also discussed some really useful tips and tricks for trainees to help increase their exposure to robotics. So what would be your one take-home message from this podcast for those who are listening? My message would be, we need to embrace robotic surgery. As simple as that. It is the future. And we need to work with technology. We need to use it to our advantage. We need to raise the patient awareness. And I think we owe this to our patients. If we cannot provide the minimal access surgery to patients, then we should be referring on to where these um, centers are who can provide. And I think with the robotic surgery is keep up the training, include your trainees in your training program, Utilize the resources we have, the online videos. I mean, we have now virtual reality, which helps us massively. I know CMR has developed a VR tool, which which is really exciting, which all the trainees can see. So, yeah, I think this is the future. Just embrace it. Robotic assisted surgery enables the benefits of minimal access surgery to patients with technological advantages that make the procedures easier for surgeons to perform. Raising awareness and benefits of robotic assisted surgery to patients is vital. Surgical training will continue to benefit from developing modular standardized curriculums. Trainees may benefit from researching online about robotic assisted surgery and watching surgical videos. it for this episode of Surgical Robo Talks. A huge thanks to Nahid Gull for joining us today. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to our show. And join us next time when we'll be speaking with Justin Collins about the role big data and AI is playing in robotic-assisted surgery.